Good morning. Good morning. Had you been with me last Sunday? Had you been listening? And then had you listened to what Jimmy stood up here and read, you might have said, that does not seem to match with what Daniel said last week. I said last week that we would be talking about the Beatitudes. And last week we started, and today we're going to start, or we're going to do the second. In Matthew chapter 5, the second Beatitude that we read, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, I believe it says, Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. And it seemed kind of fitting for us to talk about this, because it feels like we've been in a steady state of mourning for the last little bit. But to be honest with you, that sentence has been uttered for the last 2,000 years and even longer. From the day that this word was spoken by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, there have been people that would be able to relate to it. Because we see constantly people passing away. If you were to make a list of all the people that you've known in your life that have passed away, it'd be sizable. And it'll get larger, not smaller. But Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn. And the second thing, for they shall be comforted. And that's what we're going to look at here today. Is first of all, what is mourning? And second of all, what is comfort? And how can comfort be provided? And I promise we'll get to 2 Kings there in the process. I said Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Verse 4, I apologize. <clears throat> I was working on the verse 6 one the other night. The other night. still stuck in my head. But I want us to think about characteristics of mourning to start with. What does it mean to mourn? Well, in the simplest by-the-book definition of what it means to mourn, we're thinking about Sadness, right? We're expressing grief. We're expressing sorrow in some way. But grief and sorrow can be expressed in different ways depending upon what it is. If we want to think about death, if we find out that a famous actor, musician, athlete passes away, we might think, oh, I remember that person. I saw that person in concert at the State Fair in 1974. But maybe not a level of mourning that would exist with someone else. But if someone who is a close relative of us passes away, then that's different. But it's different for everybody. Because for that musician that died, that he was like, yeah, I had one of his eight tracks a uh, hundred years ago. There's another group of people that are heartbroken by the loss of that person. And on the flip side, there may be people even that we live in the community with or that we go to church with who pass away and we didn't really know that person and we're sad for the family, but there's another person that that's a tragic event. See, it hits different depending upon what the situation is. But it says, blessed be those who mourn. And that's what we're going to look at uh, a little bit here today. What does Jesus mean when he speaks of mourning in Matthew chapter 5? Well, he says, first of all, these people are blessed because they mourn. It sounds like there's going to be mourning that exists in our lives, right? I, I, we can't really avoid 
that. And of course, our most common thoughts about mourning center around death. The Bible was no different than that as well. In Genesis chapter 23, verse 2, we see Abram that uh, mourns for Sarah. Genesis chapter 37, Jacob mourns for Joseph. Now, that was common type mourning. But the Bible also talks about mourning in a few different ways as well. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 35, Samuel mourns for Saul's sin. Saul's not dead. Saul's not in the grave. And Saul's not left a world where we don't know what we're going to do with that. But Samuel was mourning for Saul's sin. Ezra chapter 10, and verse 6, we talked about this. Well, we talked about this several times on Wednesday night. But Ezra mourned for Israel's sin. Saul was a specific person. Ezra's mourning for the sin of the people, the nation, the group. Right here. The third one. Nehemiah, in chapter 1 and verse 4, mourned the desolation and destruction of Jerusalem. The city, the temple, the place that they had lost. None of those three things are death in the sense that we think of I am in mourning because someone had passed away. But are those legitimate forms of mourning? So I think we can establish right off the bat, Old Testament-wise, we can mourn for things besides death. And I want you to know that right off the bat. You can be upset. You can be saddened. You can be mournful of things that don't necessarily mean I got to go to the cemetery. We can be mournful for things that we are struggling with or that other people are struggling with. Know that right off the bat. So what do we mourn today? Well, obviously we mourn the death of friends and family. That's no different than in the past. You know, we mourn things like natural disasters. How many of you were mournful of what happened out in Mayfield last month? I saw things and saw videos and heard people talking. It was just sad. You know, we heard about people that had lost their lives. 76 people, I think it ended up being, that had passed away. But buildings just got stores and houses and churches and school buildings damaged and these courthouses gone. Places that were there today and they're gone Tomorrow, Nehemiah mourned about the destruction and the loss of Jerusalem. We can mourn for that today. Some of you maybe have experienced that kind of natural disaster, calamity type mourning. Dad was talking the other day about when their house burned when he was little. It burned twice. That's a mournful situation. There may be other people in here that have experienced that same kind of thing. Do we mourn those that are involved in sin. How many of us have people in our lives, maybe people in our family that aren't here with us or that seem to have no real religious identity, no real concern for that? Can we mourn that? Absolutely. And then I think the last thing that we can mourn today, there's probably more, but the last one I've got, is ignorance over spiritual matters. And we use that word ignorance a lot of times to to denote people that are dumb. That's not really what ignorance is. Ignorance is a lack of knowledge about something. I teach a world (laughs) religion class at school. And in that class, over a 
12-week period, we talk about five religions. We talk about Judaism for two weeks. Well, we the first week is intro. And then Judaism for two weeks, Christianity for two weeks, Islam for two weeks, Hinduism for two weeks, and Buddhism for two weeks. And I will guarantee you this. I get much more ignorant as the semester goes along. At the start, I'm pretty good. My Jewish knowledge is pretty good. And then we get to the Christian part, and I'm really good. And then as we go, from, I get Islam, I'm okay. I have a little bit of ignorance there. But my students are, in many cases, ignorant about the Christianity part. They just don't know. And sometimes I get frustrated. Like, how do you know this? And I think, it's like taking Cambry and asking her why she doesn't know how to do algebra. She's too young. She's not been exposed to that. Our kids, these people that I have in class, they've not been exposed to it. But we can be mournful of that sort of spiritual ignorance, right? Because unfortunately, I'm not as worried about that as people that sometimes are here every single time and still have that same spiritual ignorance. Is that something to be mournful of? Somebody, I went to church with this person for 40 years and they never grew one bit. Should we mourn that? Yeah. Probably something. Let's go back to the Old Testament. If you've got your Bible, you might want to pull it out. But if not, I think everything's going to be on the screen. But in the book of 2 Kings, this is where Jimmy was there just a moment ago. We're talking about the King Josiah. That may be a name that rings a bell with you. But Josiah became the king of Judah when he was eight years old. He's a young child when he becomes king. And as an eight-year-old who becomes king, you're not probably going to be able to handle the task the way you would think. You have a regent, somebody that's going to guide you through right there. But Josiah becomes king. And his father and grandfather before him, because that's how the king job passes down person A to B to C, father and grandfather and father to son. His father and grandfather <clears throat> had been evil. And during their reigns, the people had become idolatrous. They worshiped idols. They had fallen away from their true religion. And so Josiah, as he's growing, as he's learning, when he's 16 years old, he starts to seek after the Lord. That time frame should sound pretty familiar. We sometimes experience that at that age, even today. And when he's 20 years later, he starts to destroy idols and destroy those places of idolatrous worship. And when he was 26, he orders the repair of the temple. And during that process, the high priest Hilkiah found the book of the law. So what we're seeing here is this character here, this Josiah, is seeing a little spiritual growth. It could be argued that when Josiah was eight years old, he was spiritually ignorant, right? Worthy of being mournful. It can also be shown that Josiah then, over a period of time, starts to grow. What I liked about this is it went from eight years old to 26 years old. We like results tomorrow, right? He's been coming to church for two weeks. Why ain't he baptized? Why am he? He ought to be able to lead singing by next month at least. There's got to be some growth in there. We can't expect that change over time. But Josiah here is kind of growing through this. But what he sees here when he turns 26 is going to cause for mourning. Because he realizes that everybody was in a tough spot. Let's turn to Josiah chapter 22. Josiah, or Josiah, I'm sorry. 2 Kings chapter 22. I apologize for that. So 2 Kings chapter 2, 
verses 22, verses 10 and 11. Eventually I'll get it right. Don't, just don't listen to me. We'll be fine. So when the book of the law was read to Josiah, he ends up tearing his clothes. Follow along with me here. 22, starting in verse 10. Then, then Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. Remember, they're, they're kind of redoing this temple, repairing this temple. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king, that's Josiah, heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. See, Josiah's going through this thing here where he's trying to improve, but now he hears and he says, wait a minute, it's bad. He tears his clothes. He's so upset. We've just completely abandoned the law. We've forgotten everything. But now we've got this book of the law. A little further. 2 Kings 22, verse 13. 12 and 13, really. The king commanded Hilkiah, the priest, uh, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, uh, Acre, it just goes with a bunch of names. Verse 13, go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us. Because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Josiah says the wrath is coming down upon us because we have this book of the law. This is not a book of the suggestions. This is not a book of the if you get around to it, but it's a book of the law. And he says we violate, we don't have any of this right. We got to figure this out. So as you can see right there, it says, ask Hilkiah the priest to go ask the Lord if their troubles were because of a failure to follow. Is this why we're struggling? So Hilkiah the priest, if you read verse 14, it mentions all those different names. They go and in verses 15 through 17, then she said to them, uh, <clears throat> thus says the Lord God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. Hold other prophets called Hilkiah, and of course that's going to eventually get back to Josiah, that the Lord would bring calamity because the people what? People didn't follow God. So all of his, his concerns are all legit, right? Like, we didn't do this, and this is what? Calamity. A minute ago we said, do we mourn for natural disasters and calamities? Yeah. Looks like calamity is coming for Josiah right here. So far. The fourth point here. Josiah, though, was the rare occasion of somebody who seemed to be trying to do right when almost everyone was doing wrong. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. And you tore your clothes and wept before me. I have also heard you, says the Lord. Verse 20. 
Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back the word to the king. Josiah was ready to mourn because things were bad in Judah. But if you look here, what we see is, like Jimmy read there in those first few verses of 23, Josiah had made a promise to follow the Lord and his commands. And because of that, it said that he would not suffer these things that are going to later befall Judah. And we just spent a hundred Wednesday nights talking about all the problems that befell Judah. This was a source of comfort, I believe, for Josiah. Jesus says, blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So let's talk about comfort for just a second. Three things. Number one, ultimately God is the source of all comfort. I think we can all agree on that. In a couple of verses, because you might say, well, everything, you just, everything we have talked about so far has been Old Testament. Well, let's go to the New Testament and find our comfort, because I believe that's what the New Testament is. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and verse 4, it says, Blessed be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I think I said the word comfort four or five times right there. feels like it's an important word in what we see right there. It says, God comforts us so that we can what? So that we can comfort others. That's important, right? How do I know? How, how do I get out of this spiritual ignorance? How do I get out of this comforting ignorance? I take the comfort from God and apply it to other people. Along with that, 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your heart and establish you in every good work. So the first point, God is the source of all comfort. Know that from the get-go. Okay, Nothing that I can do or you can do will be as good as what God can do. But the second, our fellow Christians are a source of comfort as well. Now, you are my fellow Christians, yes? But on the flip side of that, I am your fellow Christian. So I can't say, well, I sure wish Ben would comfort me. Man, it'd be nice if Marilyn would comfort me. And then when Ben's going through trouble, I'm like, it'd be all right. I gotta, I gotta be that other way, right? If I'm, if he's gonna be a source of comfort for me, then I've gotta be a source of comfort for him. First Thessalonians chapter five eleven. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Edify, build up. Ben's down. I need to build him up. But it won't happen overnight. Go back to Josiah there, man. It took a little while. If somebody's struggling with something and you go and talk to them, don't expect that they're going to be fixed the next day. We like that, right? Fix it. Fix it. Fix it. If the machine at work is broken, fix it now. People aren't machines. 
We need to comfort. We need to edify. We need to build up. But we also need to know that it might take a little while. People are going through stuff. Blessed are those that mourn for they should be comforted. It doesn't say blessed are those that mourn for a couple of minutes and then it's all over. Second, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, three verses later. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and the last thing, be patient with all. The hardest part. That may be the hardest verse in the Bible, right? Be patient with all. I've been comforting you. Why ain't you better? That's not how it works. Be patient with them. The faint-hearted, those that are weak, those that are struggling. We can work with that. Because I hope that when I'm in that situation, you're having that same attitude, that same thought, that same work with me. <clears throat> Where did I get this time? We said God is the source of all comfort, but God doesn't like present Himself and wrath. That's not the way that really works. And we said the second thing, our fellow Christians are a source of comfort, but I never know what to say to these people when they're in these hard situations. Well, the third thing, God's Word gives us comfort. Don't look around for something that you know you're not going to find when it's right here. Let's go back to Josiah for just a second. Josiah realized the trouble that they had when he found what? He found the Word of God right there. He found the law. And he said, this is a problem. Today, we see people that are struggling. I don't know what to say to them. Let's go back to that same Word. Use that as my God. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Whatever things were written before were written what? For our learning. We've all heard that verse a million times. That we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have Hope. That stuff that was written in the past. I don't need that. There ain't nothing there for me. We can fix it right now. No. Dig in there a little bit. Find a little something in there that might be helpful for somebody else. It was written for our learning. Right? Romans 15.4. Written for our learning. Through patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. Back to 1 Thessalonians one more time. We've been there a lot. Chapter 4 verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another. Right? Comfort one It should be our job. So if we're going to say, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, we're going to be on both sides of that coin at some point. I, gotta be, I know I'm going to be on the mourning side. I hope you're on that comforting side. And I hope that when you're on that mourning side, that I can play that comforting role. So when we put it all together, Sometimes we get this confused. Being comforted does not mean that we're not going to have problems or difficulties. Every person who has ever lived on the face of the earth has had problems and difficulties. Tell me if you know, I'll wait a minute. Tell me if you know anybody who's never had any problems or difficulties. And you might say, well, I know this guy that I worked with forever. It seemed like everything went right for him. Seemed like. But I'm sure he had issues as well. Sometimes they may not just have been quite as obvious. As God's comfort comes in the form of knowledge. That's what we said there a minute ago. Things that were written before for our learning. God gives us comfort not to avoid situations, but to endure those situations. Would you agree with that statement? That our comfort comes, if we avoided all the problems, then we don't, there's nothing, that, we're not living a realistic life. That's why Jesus came to the earth. Because Jesus came and lived as a man so that whenever people said, 
man, I'm going through this. Jesus could say, I can relate to that. And Jesus said, well, hope you get through it. That's not, we have no connection. Jesus was that connection for us. God gives us that comfort to not avoid difficulties, but to endure. Mourning is a natural part of life. We established that from the beginning. It's not going to change. I don't know when the world's going to end, but it will be a natural part of life until that point. If it's today, if it's tomorrow, it's a billion years from now. That's what it is. We need to use mourning to grow. You know, too often we use mourning as our excuse to shut down. We just say, it's, it's just bad. I can't. I, yeah, I, I got this is this is it. But it's not. Mourning should help us grow in things like wisdom. I'm going to get smarter. I know how to handle this situation for when it happens in the future. Or when it happens to a friend or a relative or a coworker, I might be able to help them. I'm not going to give them every answer. Everything is different. Your situation differs from mine. Maybe I can help you a little bit. The other day, when Ron passed away, I was on my way over there to the hospital and Mary texted me and she said, don't try to say anything fancy. Just being there is helpful. That's good advice, isn't it? Because the whole time over there, I was thinking, what should I say? I don't know if I said anything. But that's pretty good. You know, sometimes people that have been through some things can give you a little bit of help. We need to take that and apply it. Blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. Comfort helps us to endure mourning. Not to avoid. Same Corinthians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Paul said, I'm going through the same thing that you're going through. And what's going to help us to grow, to be better together. God's the source of all comfort. Because God's the solution to all comfort. God's solutions don't always come the way we think. They should come. And God's solutions might not necessarily come as quick as we think they should come. But if it's our job to comfort those who are mourned, it's our job to do the best that we can in providing that comfort and then do it again the next time we need it as well. And the next time, do it even better than the one before. Bless those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. If there's anything we can do for you, we'd invite you to come. Always stand and say, the ever <laughs>